Hey everybody, welcome to Your Move, where we help you make better decisions and live with fewer regrets. I'm Andy Stanley, and I'll be your guide. So, as a person of faith, to be honest, I've been a bit embarrassed by the way some preachers and church people have acted and reacted to recent political and social unrest. Um, It's as if they've forgotten what it means to be Christian. I mean, even if you're not a person of faith, you know what people of faith are supposed to act like and react like, right? Like Jesus. So why is it that so many of us got it wrong? Well, that's what we're talking about today right here on Your Move, so stick around. So today is actually part two of a series called Not In It To Win It, and it's based on my brand new book, entitled Not In It to Win It. So as we enter another um, crazy political season and it, you know, it's already getting ginned up, I just wanted to take a couple of weeks and remind you of some things you already know and talk about some things we've already talked about to get us prepared for what is about to happen, specifically to help us navigate or successfully navigate our potential political differences. And again, what kind of drove this for me, and I shared a little bit of this about this last time, um, you know, about a year and a half ago, or excuse me, a year ago, last spring, 2000, spring of 2021, looking back over what happened in our country in terms of um, COVID, uh, the political cycle, um, cultural moments that we had that were so disruptive. Um, I, as I watch Christian leaders, pastors in particular, some bloggers and some broadcasters, but you know, high level Christian leaders, as I watch them act and speak in such unchristlike terms and say such unchristlike things and respond and react in such unchristlike ways that in turn empowered their congregations and their followers to do the same, I was just, honestly, I was embarrassed. I was disappointed. I mean, they, they, the behavior and the language of some of these high profile leaders and some of them I know, I just, I just didn't have a category for it. And again, as, as, as is the case in leadership, they empowered their people to then do the same. I mean, name calling and demonizing entire groups of people, it became like a spiritual discipline. I felt like they were all trying to outdo each other. You, you experienced some of this. And to watch these supposedly Christian leaders then take chapter and verse and quote Jesus and quote the scripture and kind of wrap their political views in scripture and put them out there as if it's thus saith the Lord. I'm like, what in the world are you doing? Now, political um, you know, polarization is just part of the American landscape, right? It's just, just part of our culture. It's been that way for decades. But the thing that made it so tricky and continues to make it so tricky is in this last cycle, the messy but productive middle all but vanished, it just disappeared. And everybody felt pressured to move further to the right, you know, your right, my, my right's over here, your right's over here, to move further to the right or further to the left or be left behind. So what happened and what was so disturbing to me, again, this is just kind of my opinion, we're gonna get to something beyond my opinion in just a minute, which is why you came. Uh, churches and church leaders, really, we, I saw them take their cues from culture they, 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 church leaders too, they vacated the middle, took their cues, um, cues from culture. And they did pretty much what everybody else was doing. And unfortunately they did it the same way everybody else was doing it and they used the same terms. And, and as I watched all this, again, I'm not politically neutral, but as I watched these Christian leaders using their platforms this way, I, the best way to summarize it, I, I felt like that they forgot what it meant to be Christian, not become a Christian. We, we know, we got that down, right? It was like, I'm like, you're not even being 
Christian, you're not speaking like a Christian. Your posture in no way <laughs> represents the posture of Jesus. Your approach in no way reflects the approach of Jesus. And Jesus was so clear about how to approach so many of these things. Now, the reason that I wanted to spend a couple of weeks talking about it with us is that we, um, we have a, a very specific challenge. As you know, or as most of you know, we do not all see eye to eye politically. And if you're uncomfortable with that, you're at the right place if you're a Christian, because as we're gonna see, you need to get comfortable with that. And I've learned to get comfortable with that because of what's at stake. And here's why I say it's okay. And you know this from your marriage, you know this from your home life, you know this from the home that you grew up in. Disagreement is unavoidable. This is true at work, this is true in marriage, this is true everywhere, this is true politically, it's true in any organization, true in church. Disagreement is unavoidable. But, and this is where the tension is and this is why we gotta talk about it. Division is different. Division is a choice. And again, you've experienced this in marriage. You've had some disagreements, but you didn't get divorced. You've had maybe a lot of disagreements, but you know, you're like, you know what? This isn't gonna divide us. This isn't gonna rip our family apart. So disagreement's unavoidable. Division is always a choice. And the nation continues to choose division, unnecessarily in my opinion, but continues to choose it. The goal is for the church not to, and specifically, we don't want to. And here's why this is a good thing. This is why the tension is a good thing. It is in this tension over what we disagree over. It's in this tension that we learn and that we grow. It's in this tension that we say, oh, oh, I always thought, oh, I assumed, oh, I was raised to believe, oh, I was told people like you, oh, oh, that's where you, that's where you have oh moments, that's where you learn and you grow and you adjust your attitude and you shift your thinking and you don't necessarily abandon your, abandon your, uh, abandon your political views or your political party, but there's a sense of, oh, I'm not as buttoned up as I, I thought I was. Now, this is human nature. This is true for all of us. We wanna have a buttoned up worldview. This is why we get mad. And somebody says, why are you mad? I'm not mad. I'm like, I think you're mad. You're, you're mad over something that really has almost nothing to do with you. Because when our worldview gets threatened, especially we got God and Jesus in there together and the Holy Spirit and got chapter and verse, when it gets, you know, when it kind of gets us all stirred up, it, it's, we get defensive. We all do, I do, we all do. All right, now, believe it or not, political disagreement, believe it or not, political disagreement is usually fueled by divergent life experiences, not low IQ. <laughs> I know, it's like, what? No, 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 Andy, you're wrong. The reason she's a Democrat is she's not very smart. <laughs> the reason he's a Republican is, you know, Republicans, they're not all that smart. I mean, it's just a lot easier to say the other party, they just low IQ. But listen, when we associate someone's differing political views, when we associate that they're just not that smart, low IQ, or you know, a lack of character, they're just bad people. They're just evil people. They're just out to get us, they're just evil. When you do this, do you know what you do? You do unto others exactly what you do not want others to do unto you. You size them up and you write them off and you stereotype them. And I don't know you personally, but you don't wanna be sized up and written off and you don't wanna be stereotyped. Oh, you're a Republican, I know everything about you, conversation. Oh, you're a Democrat, I know everything there is to know about you because I know those Democrats. You, you don't wanna be treated that way by people you know or people you don't know and neither do other people. 
we do unto others exactly what we don't want done unto us. Now, here's the thing. Jesus' followers don't go there because Jesus didn't go there. Jesus did not size you up and write you off, and he could have. And God didn't size you up and write you off and stereotype you, and he could have. We don't go there because Jesus didn't go there and we're fortunate he didn't go there. The fact that God in his grace and mercy loves you anyway and loves me anyway and has called us to do for others what he's done for us, this should not necessarily be easy, but it should be simple in terms of understanding what it means to be Christian. And the thing is this, Jesus didn't just suggest this. We have a mandate that prohibits us from going there. Again, if you're not a Christian, knock yourself out, demonize everybody, criticize everybody, use whatever language you want, have fun with it, okay? You, you, I, I have, I don't, you know, that's up to you. But if you consider yourself a Christian, especially Jesus followers, Jesus addressed this. And here's what he said about all of us as it relates to all of us. You are to, and, and again, how many times we talk about this? He says, you're to love one another even if you don't agree with one another. In fact, you should love one another, especially when you don't agree with one another. And this love one another, this isn't, you know, Jesus feeling something toward us. I just love those people. No, I mean, read the gospels. Jesus' love was active. It was external. It's the kind of love that leans in rather than pushes away. And here's what I know about you. And here's what you know about me. If we can figure this out, you do not have to agree with me to love me. And I don't have to agree with you to love you, but Jesus says, you are to love him and you are to love her actively, compassionately involved because that's what I've done for you. We can disagree politically and love unconditionally, right? Some of you are like, that's a stretch right there, pastor. I just don't know. I mean, you know, I mean, you know, you can, I, I can love you if you don't like my, if you don't love the Braves and I can love you if you don't like my, you know, but I, politically, yeah. I mean, th don't answer it out loud, but can we, can you do this? Now, here's the thing. I say we can. Jesus doesn't leave this in the realm of potential or possibility. We are, if we're Jesus followers, we are required to love one another when we disagree. It goes back to what we talked about last week, we'll get to in just a minute. It goes back to the idea of the law of Christ. Jesus has a law. He didn't have 10 commandments, he had one command. He said, here it is, you are to love one another and you don't just get to pick what it looks like and sounds like and reacts like, I've modeled it for you. You are to love one another as I've loved you, you must love one another. In other words, Jesus has modeled for us what one another love looks like. And the guys in the room, again, read it for yourself, the guys in the room when he said this, they, had, they were so different. They had so many differences. And he's like, this is what I'm calling you to do, guys. You are to love one another, not the way you've seen love happen, not the way you're comfortable with love. I want you to do for each other what I have done and what I'm about to do for you. Which means that God loved us in spite of the fact, God loved us in spite of the fact that we were and still are wrong about a lot of things. God loves us in spite of the fact that we continue to be wrong about a lot of things. Here's the, here's the kicker, here's, the, here's, the, here's what levels the playing field. God loved you when you were wrong about him. 
And he says, now if I've done that for you, can you not just do that for one another? God loves you, this is amazing. God loves you in spite, don't be offended, or you can be marginally offended, but don't leave early, okay? God loves you in spite of your misinformed, experience-based, evolving views. Now, you say, my views aren't, I don't have evolving views. I got a box and Jesus and none of Listen, You do not see the world the same way you did when you were 15. Your views evolved. You don't see the world the same way you did when you were 25, unless you're 25, okay? And then you got it all worked out and it's perfect. But when you're 35, you're gonna look at your 25-year-old box and go, ah, there were some problems. And when you're 55, you're gonna like, the whole box was completely wrong. I can't even believe. I'm so embarrassed, mom. I'm so embarrassed, dad. There's a, you know, we, that's part of growing up. That's part of maturing, right? So to, to hang on to things and to think, you know, but, but here, here's the point, God loves you. And God loves me in spite of our misinformed, experience-based, evolving views. And here's what he's inviting you to do and inviting me to do. In fact, he more invites, he instructs us, he commands it. He says, now, I want you to love each other in spite of your misinformed, she's, but Lord, she's wrong. God's like, okay, well, she's wrong. We just love her anyway, but she's wrong. Hey, wait, 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 wait. Is, is being right, is that, the, is that the litmus test for who I get to love and who I know? I guess not. Okay, just love her, love him. But, but their, their, their whole view is just based on their personal experience. It's not, it's not grounded in anything but their personal experience. And God's like, well, I hate to tell you this, but so is yours. Oh yeah, well, it's different. No, it's not different. I want you to do for others what I have done for you. But not, this is the, this is the most important part, but not because it's the nice thing to do. Oh, let's just be nice Christians. No, it's way bigger than that. This is mission critical. This is mission critical. This is mission of the church critical. This is God's mission, mission critical. This is, this is strategic. It's important. There's virtually nothing more important than this. And this is why I say that. Because at the end of his ministry, before he was arrested and crucified, Jesus puts it out there. And here's how he says it. And many of you can quote this from memory because you've heard it so many times. Jesus says, look up here, guys. I want you to love one another as I have loved you. That's how you must love one another because by this, this loving each other regardless, by this unique brand of love, by this crazy love that brings people who are nothing like each other and don't even normally like each other, by this unique brand of love, you ready? Everyone's gonna know that you are my follower, disciple, learner, if not you vote the same way, baptize the same way, do communion the same way, sing the songs the same way, meet at the same time. No, no, he says, no, the litmus test, the thing that's gonna say to the world that you're my follower is how you treat, how you love one another. So this isn't a nice to have. This isn't a be kind and get along. This is mission critical for the church. In fact, the more we disagree, the more we disagree politically, the more diverse we are politically, the more noticeable, the more notable, the more noteworthy our lives and our churches become. The more, another way of saying this is, the more politically diverse we are, the harder it's gonna be for us to love one another. And consequently, the brighter our light is gonna shine. So here's something you know, but I'll say it anyway. Getting along with people who are just like you that's not amazing. 
That's normal. That's expected, right? But loving and serving with folks who aren't like you, who don't share everything about your worldview, don't share your political views, that's amazing. That's ultimately, as we're gonna see in just a, a minute, that's what helped change the world. Here, here's the way the apostle Paul says it. And he uses our key phrase. He says, look, here's what I want you to do. And he's, he's, he's talking um, to Christians in the um, Roman provinces and cities of, of Galatia. He says, Christians, here's what I want you to do. I want you to carry each other's burdens. Well, why? Well, here's why. Because carrying, here, carrying your burden, do you know what that requires of me? It requires me to move in your direction and carrying my burden requires you to move in my direction. And when you move in my direction and help me carry my life burden, do you know what you'll discover? You'll discover that our differences are more understandable than you thought. You'll discover why I sit where I sit and consequently take the stand that I do. And I'll understand why you sit where you sit and consequently why you take the stand that you do. More importantly, and in this way, here's what he says. And in this way, you actually fulfill, here's his phrase, the law of Christ. That when I move in your direction, regardless of how different we are, and I get up under the burden of your life, even if you caused the burden through your misdeeds and through your irresponsibility, I learn something about you and I model the law of Christ. The law of Christ is the love as Christ loved us. In other words, when we choose, to say it this way, when we choose to carry someone's burden, what divides us diminishes and what unites us surfaces. That's when we have the, the oh moments. Remember this, I've told you this so many times. Anytime you get stuck in the cul-de-sac of, how does anybody do that? Why would anybody do that? How could anybody vote that way? How could anybody believe that way? The moment you hear yourself saying that or thinking that, just remember, there's something you don't know. If I don't understand why she could vote that way, and if I don't understand why they would act that way, there's something I don't understand. There's something I need to discover. And yes, it's messy, but it makes you better and it makes the world better and it makes the church stronger. This is how the church began. This is how the world changed. I'm gonna read you some verses. I, I don't even know, I, there's no way to even exaggerate how disturbing and how countercultural these words from the Apostle Paul were, especially to Roman and Gentile Christians. Here's, here's what he says. This is, this is what changed the world. This is what I'm invited into. This is what you're invited into. This is. This is how you make the world a better place. This is how you make the United States a better nation. He says, there is neither Jew nor Gentile. Okay, stop, oh wait, stop right there. That, that, that's ridiculous, Paul. Okay, listen, in first century, this gap was so wide, it almost destroyed the church right out of the gates. This, this gap was so wide culturally and morally. The difference is they felt like, no, no, those people are immoral. Those people are immoral. I mean, the gap was so wide and it required extraordinary, extraordinary patience and extraordinary compromise for these two sides to come together to be a part of the same group and the same church. 20 years after the resurrection, <laughs> 20 years after the resurrection, they're still trying to work this out. But the reason they didn't give up is because they knew God had done, done something new in the world for the world and the church was to be the message bearer. The church had the stewardship of getting this message out to the world and they could not allow their differences to get in the way. And I'm telling you the group between these two groups, the differences were vast. He says, there's neither Jew nor Gentile 
neither slave nor free. And this is, this is what they heard. Wait, 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 wait. Okay, Paul. Quick history lesson, Paul. Everybody knows there is a huge distinction between the owners and those who are owned. The whole economy rises and falls on this. Every single pagan religion, every single pagan God, every single God we've worshiped from the Greek gods to the Roman gods, everybody just assumes this. What, what, do, you, what do you mean there's no slave or free? You're telling me your God values the owner as much as the owned that God values the owned the same way that God gives the same amount of dignity to those who are owned, to those who own, that there's no difference, that God doesn't play favorites. But Paul, okay, man, I, if this ever catches on, that's the end of slavery, exactly. The seeds that eventually, and it took too long, the seeds that eventually bore the fruit that undermined the, undermined the slave trade all over the world, almost all over the world. They were sown by Christians and they took root where there were Christian missionaries and people decided to be followers of Jesus. Today, you know this, right? Anywhere in the world where the church is strong, anywhere in the world today where the church is strong and legal, slavery is illegal. The places in the world where slavery is not illegal is where the church is not strong and is not in the open and is not supported are celebrated. This is no coincidence, this is no accident. The liberating gospel of Jesus has huge, huge cultural implications, but they don't get voted in, they get raised up and lived out by the people who are following Jesus and eventually people discover it's true. Following Jesus makes you better at life, it makes life better and it makes the world a better place. Now, I don't have to tell you this, but. I didn't have to tell you any of this, I guess, but here, here's the thing, right? We run the risk because we're so big and because we're so diverse in terms of political diversity and where we are in the city, we run the risk of being divided over a wide range of issues. And here's the thing, you may never understand, you may never understand why a Christian or another Christian could possibly be for something you're against or against something that you're for. You may, it's like you've heard it a thousand times, you may never ever get there. And they may never get to the place where they can fully understand or articulate why it is that you believe what you believe in politically and why you're against what you're against and why you're for what you're for. They, they may never get there. They may never change their view, you probably won't change your view, right? Which makes it messy and it makes it hard. But that's what makes it amazing and that's what makes it noticeable and that's what makes it notable and that's what allows our light to shine in the darkness. So let's not distance ourselves from believers we disagree with. And here's, here's what Jesus said about that. I mean, he was direct. He said, hey, if you greet, if you greet, if you, if you greet only your own people, don't, don't raise your hand, but you have people, right? I got people. Let me tell you about my people. My people are comfortable. They believe just like me. I get with my people, I can relax. I can just be myself. I can just be with my people. And I like to be with my people. And if I just had my way, I would just, Sandra and I, we would just be with our people all the time. It's just easy. And Jesus is going, hang on, hang on. If I decided to be with my people, I would have never stepped foot on your filthy planet, okay? So you can't just be with your people. I just made that part up, he didn't say that, okay? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not, even pagans do that, even the pagans do that. Everybody does it this way. He's saying, come on, I want you to be a different kind of people. 
I want you to be with your people and I want you to be with people who aren't your people and over time they may become your people. In fact, they may be better people. You just don't know because you've protected yourself from those people. This is why our nation is so divided because everybody ran to their extreme buckets and vacated the middle. Let's not fall for that. That didn't change the world. That divided the world. That continues to divide the world. And Jesus has invited us to do something extraordinary. He's invited us to be amazing. So let's just do what the early church did. It worked out, they changed the world, slave and free, male and female, Jew and Gentile, Democrat and Republican. It's simple, to love as he loved us. This is his new covenant command. And this command, it serves as the beautiful bridge between our differences. The bridge between our dissimilar backgrounds, the bridge between our dissimilar life experiences, the bridge between the the differences in how we were raised and what we were raised around and what we were exposed to and why we think certain things are right and certain things are wrong. It's the bridge, this is so powerful, it's the bridge between our disagreement over solutions. Here, see, here's what we have in common. We all think that what's best for people is what's best. We just disagree on what's best for people. But we all agree that what's best for people is what's best because for God so loved all the people that he gave what was most valuable to him. And he says, so come on. So we have an unprecedented opportunity. Let's be kind and then willing to call out unkindness when it emanates from our party of choice. Let's be honest, but willing to call out dishonesty even when it comes and emanates and originates in our party of choice, especially when it undermines somebody's dignity. Let's live and love and lead in such a way that the ecclesia of Jesus, the church of Jesus, regains the moral high ground. And once again, is positioned to be the conscience of our nation. And let's do what's just, not what we can justify. Let's do what's responsible, not what's permissible. Let's do what's moral and not simply what's modeled. And I love our country. Goodness, I love our country but let's not settle for law-abiding citizens. And let's not even settle for patriotic Americans. Let's be better than that. Let's be Jesus followers. Let's do everything without grumbling or arguing so that we may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in this crazy warped and crooked generation. And then because we're so different and yet we're so unified, we will shine among them like stars in the sky. And let's fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him, suffered the cross, gave his life, the one who did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life, a ransom for many. Jesus, this is one of my favorite passages that Paul wrote. Jesus, who being in very nature God, never played the God card. He leveraged his power for your benefit and for mine. And he says, now I want you to follow me. Who being very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Jesus who invited us, this is so un-American, but it's world, it's life-changing. Jesus, who invited us to abandon, to, who abandon our independence and to take up a cross and to follow him. That's the win. That's the win for the church. That's the win for the nation. And if Jesus was correct and Jesus was always correct, if Jesus was correct, that's what's gonna be celebrated in the end. That's what's gonna be celebrated when the clock finally runs out and the game finally comes to an end. So let's do this.
Let's be amazing. Let's be the church. Well, thanks so much for listening to the Your Move podcast and be sure to check out our website where you'll find your next step, including resources like our free conversation starters based on today's episode. You can access those by simply clicking on the link in our show notes. Also, if you enjoyed today's episode, take a minute to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join us next time and we will continue to explore how to make better decisions and live with fewer regrets. Thanks for listening.